Hello, and welcome to season two of Coffee and Code. I'm your host, Ashley Coffee. Coffee and Code is here to help bridge the gap between technology and people through each informative episode. On this show, you'll hear exclusive interviews with experts and innovators in the tech space. No matter your level of expertise or ability, I believe you can be excited, informed, and empowered to learn how the rapidly evolving tech world impacts your daily life. Subscribe to Coffee and Code to be notified when new episodes go live. You can also find me on Twitter at AshleyCoffee underscore and on Instagram at AshleyRCoffee89. Thanks for listening and welcome to Coffee and Code. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Code. It's now May, which is one of my favorite months because it's spring and all of the flowers are blooming and it's just nice to be in nature again, but it's also Mental Health Awareness Month and Asian Pacific American Heritage Month and Global Accessibility Awareness Day, which happens to fall on May 19th. I'm so excited to have a special guest on the show with me today, Mr. Albert Kim. Albert and I met in California this past March at an accessibility tech conference, and I was immediately inspired by Albert's story. I'm so excited to have him on the show with us today. So without further ado, Albert Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Um, nice to meet you, everyone. Thank you, Albert. So a little introduction to Albert. Albert Kim is a neurodivergent accessibility leader who specializes in including DEIA from the design phase in solving the usability challenges of digital products. As a Marine veteran, Albert is also an active advocate in including cognitive learning and mental disabilities into the digital accessibility. Currently, Albert is an accessibility lead at Corn Ferry, and he works cross-functionally across different teams in product development cycles to make user-centered, inclusive, and accessible products beyond legislation and compliance. When he's not working, he loves exploring different food and dessert scenes in Los Angeles, and he is always open to share his Yelp LA collection. I might have to take you up on that, Albert, for the next time that I'm in California, because I'm always down for checking out new food places. (laughs) Yeah, of course, anytime. (laughs) Well, um, I gave a little brief overview about your bio, but I'd like to hear a little bit more. So tell us a bit more about yourself, Albert. Yeah, uh, I'm Albert Kim. Um, my pronouns are he, him. Um, I'm an Asian man in 30s. Um, I live in LA and as actually introduced, I'm currently an accessibility lead at Corn Ferry. Um, I also uh, organize a, an organization called Accessibility Next Gen. Uh, for people who are starting their um, accessibility journey um, in the beginning of their accessibility journey, whether that is learning or career-wise. 
Um, and I'm also a marine veteran. Um, and I myself am a neurodivergent. Um, yeah, happy to be here and uh, talk about some um, digital accessibility and um, mental health. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm so glad you're here just for, for so many reasons, but for the audience who may not be familiar with the term neurodivergent, can you give your best explanation? Yeah, um, neurodivergent as in um, people who are uh, have, so for example, for me, I have ADHD, uh, PTSD, depression, anxiety, um, and dyslexia. So um neurodivergent as in um I, I i have diversity uh diverse ability in terms of um your uh, cognitive and and neuro um uh, ability so um yeah that's what the neurodivergent is and um i also um happened to be in uh, W3C Koga task force team where I work on uh, researching accessibility guidelines for people with uh, cognitive and learning disabilities and mental health disabilities. So I uh, use my insights um, as someone who is neurodivergent to um, help build accessibility guidelines for web. That's incredible, Albert. And thank you for that explanation. I think that's a great explanation. And thank you for disclosing with the audience. And I also want to say that uh, for the audience that's listening, neurodivergent and neurodiverse, those are two different terms. We could go on and on about that. But um, I want to kind of circle back around to something that you mentioned, Albert, and that's accessibility next gen. So can you tell the audience a little bit more about that and what inspired you to create Accessibility Next Gen? Yeah, so um, when I was first starting out um, trying to learn about digital accessibility, um, it was very challenging because I couldn't find a um, dedicated community for people who are um, people people like me who were uh, at that time trying to start learning about digital accessibility. So um, I joined Teach Access uh, later, um, their study away program, um, where I met a bunch of other uh, people who were interested in uh, learning about digital accessibility. And I felt like I finally found friends. Um, even in college, when I was trying to uh, tell people or friends that, hey, I love, uh, I'm passionate about digital accessibility and that's what I want to like uh, pursue for uh, for my career and everything. Um, and everyone was like, oh, what is digital accessibility? Like nobody knew. There were, there were a lot of student clubs for like data science, uh, AI uh, or uh, computer science or something, you know, very catchy words and very, um, popular uh, data science, uh, those kind of topics, but there wasn't any digital accessibility student clubs or people didn't even really know about digital accessibility when I shared. So 
for me, uh, attending Teach Access and finding other colleagues in the nation who were also uh, interested in digital accessibility uh, meant a lot to me. I finally found like I felt like I found allies. So um, I w- after the Teach Access Study Away program. Um, however, the community. Um, was over like I there wasn't any continuation of interaction and I felt like oh like I wish um, I could keep interacting with them and uh, this community uh, still continues on even after the study away program so I uh, started this uh, community like meetup community called accessibility in action to at first um with the uh, Teach Access Study Away program uh, students who um, joined at that year. And um, it grew to 500 people now globally. And it's just anyone who is interested in learning about digital accessibility and they want a support community. Um, So uh, yeah, now uh, we run mentorship program, we have um, study groups for taking the certifications in accessibility, such as IAP, CPACC certification, mm-hmm. or WAS, um, and yeah, many more. Uh, so people ask questions on the uh, Slack channel, and and different people ask, and um, yeah, it's not just uh people who are interested in learning about digital accessibility but there are also a lot of professional professionals mm-hmm. who are passionate about um growing the next generation of accessibility professionals and who want to mentor who want to help out uh so uh it's a very vibrant community um for people who want to get into this uh field i think you set it really well, a vibrant community. And I just want to take a moment to just express some gratitude and appreciation for you creating this group and this community because I I personally know it is no easy feat to build a community. And um, for those in the audience who may not know Accessibility Next Gen, um, you have just exploded with um, just lots of, of people joining in visibility, which is fantastic. And that also demonstrates that there is a need for this type of community. So um, I will be sure to link in the show notes um, Accessibility Next Gen. That way, if anyone's listening, um, can take a gander and look at all of the resources that you have available. Yeah, of course. Um, I'll share the links uh, for you and uh, for the audience to check out. And um, we have Meetup page twitter also we have a slack um so yeah anyone can literally join and uh it's a very open inclusive and uh warm environment um and very supportive uh so uh yeah like i think if you want to go fast then you go alone um if you want to go far you go with your friends Mm -hmm. um and that's what i learned in military too so whenever i feel a little less motivated uh, or whenever I feel a little discouraged uh, or feeling imposter syndrome, 
this uh, friends that I made in this community have been super helpful. They have supported me um, and emotionally and mentally. And um, so, yeah, very good community. I love them. Yeah. I love that. That warms my heart to hear because I feel like having that type of community is so important. And especially now with everything going on in the world, I mean, it's just critical to have that type of environment where you feel safe and you feel supported and heard. Um, So if anyone's listening, I encourage you to check out Accessibility Next Gen. And so Albert, you touched on this briefly, but I want to circle back around to it because the intersection of mental health and technology is just so ripe. And I'm interested in hearing more about your time as a Marine and being a Marine veteran. So can you tell us more about your journey in service and how it led you to where you are today? Yeah, um, actually goes back to my early childhood uh, um, if I were to explain my journey to military because I was born in a family with domestic violence and um, I uh, have always um, wanted to uh, become stronger so that I could uh, protect my loved ones and um, yeah and I always felt like I was a coward um growing up as a child because um i couldn't really protect my mother um so that was one of the biggest motivation for me to go to marine corps and um so i applied to uh south korean marine corps i i'm a south korean citizen uh so we we call it rock marine um and then um and then I went through the training and uh, was assigned to telecommunications battalion, um, first division, South Korean Marine Corps. And uh, my specialty was uh, telecommunications. And I also uh, did a side job as an interpreter uh, during the combined military exercises with the U.S. Marines. And um, yeah, in terms of my journey in military, well, there are a lot of things to cover, but um, it's never. If I start talking about military experience, it's gonna take a long, a long uh, time. Um, we can go over hours and hours. Um, but I think some of the biggest thing was that um, for me, um, I came in with this specific intention of uh, getting. Uh, stronger so that I can protect my loved ones. Um, But at the same time, uh, as we all know, in military, um, there's a lot of uh, physical violence and um, me having that trauma from uh, my early childhood was very challenging at first to navigate. and another thing is, um, especially in South Korea, mental health is a huge uh, taboo. Mm. So um, no one would be openly talking about it or even seek for mental health uh, help. So and 
because in South Korea, military service is compulsory. Um, it's a little bit different from the U.S. Uh, military system that I feel like in the U.S., there's a lot of good uh, system that are placed for uh, military veterans uh, when before joining and after uh, getting discharged, uh, such as medical things or, or benefits and things like that. But in South Korea, literally, I was getting paid almost like a hundred bucks per month, uh, right? Oh gosh. <laughs> I know. Um, but uh, it's not that, you know, uh, in South Korea, it's so cheap. Actually, you know, an Americano, a couple of Americano costs like five dollars. Um, wow. So I know it's because it's compulsory military. I get paid hundred bucks per month, um, literally, and just. Uh, but you know, they they give you clothes. They they let you sleep in in the um, military base, and uh, they give you food. So I didn't really need to spend any money so i was able to kind of like i guess survive but uh yeah that's it was a really tough environment and um but it was only after the military service um that i really started paying attention to uh, uh mental health because um even until i joined the military service i my mindset was, oh, I need to become stronger. As I was saying, I need to become stronger in terms of my mind, uh, my self-discipline, determination to be able to protect my loved ones. But I did not know how to protect myself or mm-hmm. how to no. love myself. Wow. So um, I think it kind of uh, resulted in depression mm-hmm. uh, after mm-hmm. um, getting discharged I uh, had a lot of uh, panic attacks and Mm. um, things like that. So um, I started uh, seeking out for mental health therapies. But even then, um, the therapy journey was really challenging because, um, first of all, I realized that I internalized those social stigma towards mental health mm-hmm. uh, within myself. So uh, I constantly doubted, oh, do I, do I really need a mental therapy? Like, is, isn't this a bad thing? Like, isn't this going to, you know, screw up my mind or whatever? And um, am I, you know, going to be perceived in a weird way or things like that? Um, so... It took me a while to actually seriously get therapies and um, uh, start treatments. But yeah, it was a difficult journey. Sorry, I, I'm kind of going t- uh, tangent. Oh, no, um, no, 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 no. That, yeah. was, that was a great overview. And I just, I love everything that you've said there. And I think it's so important to have that self-love relationship. And it takes time. And I, I want to thank you for being so open with your experience because I, I feel like that that's what helps reduce that stigma of talking about it and knowing that there's a process and there are resources out there that, that can help. But I want to ask for the audience, I want to hear from you, why is it important to advocate for accessibility mental health and community in this virtual space and why are you so passionate about it? Mm. 
Well, there's a lot of statistics um, about the rise of mental health um, crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes those numbers are hard for us to really feel what that really means. So I will just give a, my uh, one example of my personal story. Um, I actually have a friend who um, committed a suicide um, so in college. Sorry. And um, uh, not many people... Actually, it's a very widely known uh, fact and statistics, but South Korea has uh, is, is number one uh, in ranked as a number one for um, suicide rate among OECD countries. Yeah. And uh, for teenagers, uh, main cause of death is suicide in South Korea. Um, And then you might think, oh, you know, maybe USA is a little better. Actually, for USA, in the United States, suicide is the second leading cause of death among people ages 10 to 24. Mm-hmm. And it's been increasing every year since 2007. Oof. And just to give you kind of a little perspective about that, uh, I went to USC, University of Southern California. Mm-hmm. And at USC uh, in 2019, uh, I think it was a fall semester, there were nine student death in one semester oh my gosh and um more than um as far as i know half of that number was due to uh suicide and accidental drug abuse Mm -hmm. um and then and accidental drug abuse is also very very common um uh among in the mental health, uh, among people with mental health um, uh, disabilities, because mm-hmm. because of the social stigma and the image of mental health, people are usually worried uh, about. Oh, if I seek for mental health therapy, will my career be screwed up, or will I? Uh, how will my employer see me, or can my school check that and and you know see me in a bad way? So what most people do is rather than seeking for actual medical help when they're going through anxiety disorder, depression, PTSD, um, they seek for these uh, drugs on streets um, more that may be a little more accessible for them. Um, and... So there's a lot of accidental drug abuse and um, addiction, drug addiction uh, in the mental health community. Um, So having said that, you know, my personal experience, in addition to my friends and my school, um, I think it kind of shows, like it kind of showed me why mental health is important. Um, personally, as well as uh, in terms of uh, societal, um, and especially 
I'm I'm an Asian man, and uh, I was born in Busan, South Korea, and grew up there until I was fifteen. So, um, it, the mental health stigma in Korea as well as in Asian community is 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 really really bad, mm-hmm. and oftentimes in Asian parenthood and culture, we emphasize self discipline, willpower. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all about mindset, uh, self determination, um, those things a lot. But you don't really, um, you don't when you broke your bone, uh, your leg or something, then you don't really heal that by working out more mm-hmm. or doing more squats, right? So. Yeah. Um, but this kind of cultural, um, cultural, uh, norms, I guess, it, it kind of contribute to even more, uh, crisis in mental health and especially in the Asian uh, community. And, um, I think I saw another statistics uh, recently that, um, uh, in the USA, uh, for Asian, American uh, young adults, suicide is the uh, number one cause of death. Uh, I mentioned, I mentioned it's a second leading cause in USA in general, but for Asian communities, it's number one. Um, so I think this kind of shows why mental health is important. And I've I have a friend who works at uh, at um, uh, State University as a uh, psychologist and um especially in the college settings and um the rapid rise of mental health crisis whether you know rate of depression or anxiety among college students has been just soaring up that um college campuses are kind of uh they don't really know how to uh really accommodate all all the students with um, the mental health therapy needs. And Mm -hmm. um, so USC, um, after the student death in 2019, they literally uh, restructured uh, their mental health therapy, uh, mental health um, uh, care for students. And now what used to be one room of an office uh, being a mental health uh, clinic uh, is now entire floor wow. uh, is, is and um, also the Keck hospital the USC um, Keck hospital uh, at, a, at one point didn't have a um, capacity to en- see any uh, other patients than uh Unless you are part of USC community, oh. like whether you are a student or a worker, you know what I mean. Like it's like a hospital that can, because it's so overloaded with patients that you can't see any patients other than your own workers and your students. Like you know what I mean. Like it kind of, uh, it's ironical, and um, so yeah, I mean. Mental health is very important, and we 
talk about COVID pandemic right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but frankly speaking, mental health crisis was uh, already here even before COVID. Yes, and it's uh, and as we all know, the impact of pandemic uh, and COVID. Physically, we emphasize that impact a lot in terms of uh, uh, the physical impact, but we don't talk enough about the mental health impact. Um, exactly. Yeah, the stress and the uh, divorce uh, or uh, a lot of conflicts within the family who's um, during the pandemic. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it's very, very important, but have been traditionally ignored. So. Yeah, that's why it's very important to start talking about now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, And I want to put a note here for the listeners who are listening. Um, I will be linking a resource sheet that I put together actually this time last year. It's Mental Health Resources for Immediate Response. So it's a really good one-pager. Take it, download it, share it with your friends. Um, But it's a great list of resources for immediate help if you or someone that you know are struggling with depression or domestic violence. Um, Definitely check that out. Now, Albert, um, I'm absolutely just floored by your journey and your resilience and just I'm very appreciative that we're having this conversation. And I want to hear from you. Can you talk more about your advocacy work and the accessibility space? Because you work at Corn Ferry. Um, we've kind of touched a bit on this digital accessibility. But can you emphasize why it's so important to build digital tools with accessibility in mind to avoid exclusion? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um well, during the COVID, as we all know, um, the digital transformation has accelerated, and uh, now, like physical, even government uh, services were uh, closed. Uh, physical offices were closed, and everything was online. And even if you wanted to renew your driver license, sometimes uh, during the pandemic, it it you had to go through the online service and. But then these critical uh, essential businesses and critical services uh, that are, uh, are provided now online only uh, were not uh, accessible because the websites were not designed with accessibility in mind, whether that is uh, as compatibility with assistive technologies uh, like a screen reader mm-hmm. or, um, or or design aspect or um, so or contents aspect. So that's why um, digital accessibility has become very uh, important, uh, has has become very, very important um, recently. And it, it's now, uh, especially in this year, it's one of the key uh, trend topics in, in the UX uh, uh, field. So the work that I'm doing is I'm part of this uh organization called the World Wide Web Consortium, W3C, where um, W3C is, is the, the body where they build uh, internet standards, right? So, um, and in that organization, there's an, uh, a 
group of people who build accessibility guidelines mm-hmm. for internet. Um, so just like physical space, like uh, you know, physical buildings, how do you access that building um, for you know everyone, including people with disabilities? Um, you need to build uh, digital space also accessibly um, for people who are who might who um, for everyone, but including people who might be blind or who are deaf or um, who have cognitive and learning disabilities. So uh, my advocacy work in accessibility space uh, especially focuses on cognitive and learning disabilities as well as uh, mental health disability because those areas have traditionally been not uh, covered in in the accessibility arena because, um, first of all, digital accessibility is relatively uh, new um, and first off we started with tackling um, the uh, blind deaf and uh, physical disabilities first so the uh, invisible disabilities or these um, cognitive learning and uh, disabilities and mental health disabilities have not been covered yet Um, so uh, that's where I'm come in and try to um, research and uh, find out what are the accessibility guidelines for users, uh, for neurodiverse users, um, that what are the accessibility guidelines that we can build for them um, so that uh, more and more developers and designers who build uh, uh, digital products will take a look at our resources and be able to reference uh, what would be the standard way to do it and how to design and uh, develop products accessibly for uh, neurodiverse users. So everyone can use uh, our uh, digital space uh, equally and uh, accessibly. Absolutely. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I love one of my favorite phrases is technology that works for all people is good for all people. And I hope people can take a moment to just marinate in that because at some point, everyone at some point in their lives is going to experience a disability, whether that is situational or temporary or permanent, um, it will happen. So it's important to make sure that we're not excluding anyone from being able to access anything digitally. Yeah, and just to add one more, like I used to play StarCraft, game yeah. called StarCraft when mm-hmm. I was young. But and Microsoft Office um was uh built even before StarCraft, but now there's I recently saw an article that people who used to play StarCraft uh when they were 30s at the time or uh 40s or 30s at the time are now uh, 60s, right? Um, so the people who, and for Microsoft Office, it's now, it's even uh, more aging because they it uh, started earlier. So um, the first users of computer and web are now uh, mm-hmm. aging. And as we all know, with aging, we all age as a human. And with aging comes 
uh, inevitably sometimes hearing loss or vision loss. And for example, my mom, uh, she always asks me, Albert, like, what does it say here? Like, she cannot read it. Like, she have a hard time seeing the letters because it's so small. Um, so I turn on the accessibility um, feature to uh, make the letters bigger and uh, so that she can zoom in or whenever she needs to uh, read her uh, things on that she noted on her cell phone, like a password or something, she needs to wear glasses uh, to do that. So it's really, um, it affects everyone in terms of, uh, uh, it's not just people with disabilities and it affects mm-hmm. everyone. And um, nowadays we we a lot of people are working remotely virtually and uh that means we are in front of computer at least eight hours minimum per day right it's not healthy. um so yeah so it's part of our lifestyle and digital digital technologies are now part of our lifestyle it's it's a part of uh our life that um it's important for these essential technologies and essential tools in our life to become accessible for everyone and uh, sustainably uh, for us to use uh, until however long uh, we need to use. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I want to hear more about your time as an accessibility next-gen mentor. I'm curious, what have been your biggest takeaways so far? Yeah, um, biggest takeaway for me is that um, I guess the surprise that, first of all, oh, wow, there are a lot of people who are interested in learning about digital accessibility. And second of all, um, they don't know how to uh, still uh, navigate this space. For example, there's a lot of resources and information out there on the web um, guide, guidance for how to pursue uh, or learn more about digital accessibility. But sometimes more information may not be mm-hmm. always better because especially if you are starting out um, and if you are new to the environment, then you don't really know because you don't have background knowledge. It's hard for you to know which information to trust or which information to go by um, uh, or be able to uh, filter certain contents and and be able to know which advice to take. So um, that's why I I think a lot of mentees were looking for mentors. And um, so when I came across that, I think I was surprised by their passion and enthusiasm um, as well as uh, despite of their enthusiasm, uh, how challenging it is for them to um, learn and, and get into this uh, field. Yeah, that, that is one of the biggest thing takeaways that I have learned so far. What do you think maybe the future holds for the next three years in terms of progress on accessibility? Yeah, so the future of technology and accessibility as we recover from the pandemic is is uh that this the demand the soaring demand during pandemic for access digital accessibility will i uh, will less likely to be going down because 
there are new technologies keep coming up, such as VR, AR, and there are all, also new medical diagnoses um, as we have uh, as we advance our um, uh, science and medical science. So uh, there's going to be uh, there's going to be continuously uh, more and more demand in terms of digital accessibility and. Not, uh, I recently saw WebAIM's um, 2022 uh, accessibility report, and I think I saw 96.4% of the web has accessibility defects. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a long way to go. Um, and, and the demand for this digital transformation, um, uh, the rate of digital transformation, as well as demand for um, accessibility uh, will continuously grow, um, especially uh, in, on the legal side, for example, in, in Europe, uh, European Accessibility Act will come into effect in 2025 and uh, the aging population of early computer users and um, things like that. So the demand will continuously soar, but there's lack of uh, professionals and experts who specialize or in, in this field or who or developers and designers in general who have an, at least any basic understanding about accessibility. So um, my thoughts on future of technology and accessibility is that it'll continuously become more important and um, mm-hmm. uh, digital accessibility and um, uh, there will be continuously um We'll continuously need to uh, work on digital accessibility um, and also grow the next generation of accessibility professionals and accessibility champions to be able to um, really resolve this demand and uh, fill this gap and demand uh, sustainably. Yeah. Absolutely. And I will be linking um, the resources, some of them that you mentioned today in the show notes for the audience. Um, I've had a great conversation with you, Albert. I feel like we could talk for hours. But um, this final question I want to ask is, what kind of advice would you have for those listening that want to learn more about being an advocate for mental health and accessibility? Well, let's start small. First of all, Mm -hmm. if you want to be an advocate for mental health, look around you first. Um, You'll be surprised how many people around you are actually going through a uh, uh, hardship. Um, Mm -hmm. So start within your community. And actually, even before then, Start with your own self first. If you want to be an advocate for mental health, um, love yourself first, right? In order mm-hmm. to love others, you need to love yourself first and yeah. um, take care of your own mental health first. And then uh, start uh, thinking about um, people around you, your loved ones, check on them. Uh, uh, how are you doing? And um, trying to... Uh, if anyone needs your support, emotional support, be there for them. And um, uh, this, you'll be surprised to find out how many people are struggling and 
how much you can be uh, of help for them. And mm-hmm. um, and for those um, who are currently going through mental health um, challenges, um, I hope you know that, I hope that they know that they are not alone. Uh, mm-hmm. That's, I think, one of the most important things. When I was going through my own uh, challenges in terms of mental health, I felt like I'm alone. And I felt like I didn't have anyone to talk about this hardship that I'm going through. But that was not true. Um, There's a ton of people who are going through similar or um, uh, challenges out there. And you'll be surprised when you open up and share your hardship, how many people would be willing to help you and support you. Uh, we don't live this life alone. Uh, we live together with other people. Um, and it's okay to ask for help. Um, and it's okay to say that you are not okay. Um, so that's my biggest advice um, that, you know, normalize and um, normalize mental health care. And um if you ask for help, you will get it. Um, and um, uh, I openly talk about my mental health challenges. And um, so, you know, you'll be surprised by uh, how much, how many people will feel empathized and will, uh, uh, will empathize with you as well. And also for those who want to pursue digital accessibility, feel free to check out Accessibility Next Gen. Uh, it's on Meetup. Um, and I'll share the link with Ashley and uh, feel free to join. We are a very open and inclusive community trying to help each other um, learn about digital accessibility. If you have questions, you can ask. You can also find mentors here. Um, and yeah, uh, also please feel free to follow my Twitter. I often share about my mental health journey a lot there. Um, also there is, uh, if you are currently going through, uh, uh, cognitive and learning disabilities or, or have a co- cognitive and learning disabilities or going through, um, um, mental health disabilities, then, um, or you are, have knowledge about them. You can also contribute in making web accessible for users with cognitive and learning disabilities, as well as mental health disabilities, by joining uh, W3C Koga community group. Um, and anyone can join this group and you can uh, start, uh, they have a, like a regular meeting set up uh, anywhere in the world remotely and you can join the meeting and um, uh, start reviewing some of the work that Koga group has done and um, uh, share your feedbacks and things like that. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, Albert, I just, I'm so appreciative that you've taken time to come on the show and thank you for sharing your journey and your passion. And, um, yeah, I just, I, I wish I could give you a big hug from, from Oklahoma, um, sending it through, through the channels here, but thank you for sharing these resources. Um, I'm hopeful that someone out there listening, at least one person can find this helpful and beneficial and share it. And 
with with that, just remember, um, you never know what, what someone's going through. So you be kind to one another and um, try to do your part to help reduce the stigma of talking about mental health. Um, but without further ado, thank you so much, Albert, for coming on Coffee and Code. Thank you so much, Ashley, for having me. And sorry for the audience who will be listening to this. If you are confused by what I'm saying, sometimes I go tangent a lot and it's uh, yeah, not very organized. But um, I hope that uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Uh, feel Anyone, feel free to reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn, Albert Kim. My Twitter handle is DJK Albert. Feel free to uh, add me there as well and ask any questions if you have any. And yeah, thank you so much, Ashley, for um, having me here today. If you enjoyed today's episode of Coffee and Code, share it with a friend. You can also support this podcast by leaving a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and you can also share it on social media. It doesn't matter if you have five or 500 or 5,000 followers, you have influence. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes go live. Thank you so much for listening to Coffee and Code.